What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Brendel Mack on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. I'm just going to toss it at you, start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay, so I want to start with just giving a little bit of background about myself. I am 27 years old. I do have one living daughter who is eight years old, um, and my husband is active duty military, and we have been trying to conceive now for two years. So I do want to kind of start with the beginning of things for me because things started getting a little complicated. I want to say in year 2013, um, and that was when I had my birth control taken out. So my daughter was born in 2011. I was a freshman in college. She was definitely a surprise baby. Um, And so, and I didn't have any complications with her. I carried her full term. I actually had to evict her. So you know, it wasn't, you know, a situation where, like I said, any complications with that. Um, She was born eight pounds, one ounce. So of course, you know, I wasn't trying to have any more babies shortly after that, because I was trying to finish, you know, my college career. So I, again, went with the the Implanine. And I got it taken out a little early, because it was causing me to have like some irregular bleeding, I would bleed for like maybe two months. And it wasn't like heavy. But you know, it would it was one of those irritating things where you knew that your period was there and it just would not go away. So like I said, I had that removed early because that's one of the birth controls that I believe stay in for three years. And I took it out a year early. I noticed that like once I started taking it out, I started having problems with ovarian cysts and I would just feel like these really sharp pains on, you know, either side, depending on whatever side the cyst was on that month. And that's when I kind of started raising my brow to, to seek medical attention. So, like I said, removed that in 2013. Um, around year 2016, I had to get, and I had to have Google to help me pronounce this word because I've been saying laparoscopic, laparoscopy, but it's lapro, is it laparoscopy? Have you I don't know. I, I, I have, but I think I would say laparoscopy. <laughs> yeah, but Google said that it's laparoscopy. So that's the procedure that I had. And basically you get these three small incisions um, and they like go in with like a camera. It's not a very invasive surgery, but they go in with a camera and they look at both tubes and then they'll go kind of in your belly button. Well, that's basically how the procedure went for me. And at the time, the gynecologist did not really give me a lot of details of what was wrong. He basically just kind of touched on the surface and said that he saw that I had some scar tissue and some pelvic adhesions and that he was able to clean some of that up. And I'll go into later why I say that he only touched the surface because I found out, you know, there was a lot more going on. So that was in 2016. Fast forward to 2017, because my husband and I, um, we got married February 2017. So we we wasn't trying like right in the beginning. We really started trying more towards the end of 2017. And, um, yeah, so towards the end of 2017, just, you know, just trying without any supplements or anything like that. Didn't think that I would really have a problem considering that when I had that procedure done, he did not say anything major was going on. And so in 2018 was when I started picking up my Amazon supplements, my Google 
craze phase of what works for you um, type thing. So I came across this supplement on Amazon called Conception and I took it. But the thing with me is when I start things, if it doesn't work for me, like initially, I'm always on to the next. And that I, I won't recommend that because I think for me, that doesn't allow me to really see if the product is for me. But I'm, I'm kind of working on myself with my patients and, you know, trying to push through when I am trying something. So we'll, I'll tell you guys about that later. But yeah, so I tried the conception supplement. I tried diet. I did diet and exercise and of course just changing it. And I think uh, for the most part, I've tried to eat healthy. I've been eating healthy probably for like three or four years. So, but anyway, just tried to be a little bit more on my fruits and vegetables. And like I said, exercising at least three times a week. And I also tried like the pink stork tea. So nothing really major, but like I said, just minor changes. And so 2018, nothing. So I went to the hospital that's on the military post and my doctor did some blood work and basically just wanted to hand me over to a fertility specialist because she could not pinpoint what the problem was as to why I wasn't able to conceive um, in the year 2018. So March of 2019 was when I first saw my fertility specialist and my husband also went and had a sperm analysis done and we found out for him he was good, but I think he had some issues with just motility. His motility was a little low. And I believe that is when they don't really swim as much. So he had enough. He had, um, you know, enough in the sample. But like I said, they just was not swimming. So he decided to go ahead and start working on what he can do for that. And I believe once we like research, it was mainly just incorporating more vitamin C and dieting and wearing looser underwear or something like that. So very simple fix for him. Um, and then initially for me, he thought that it was going to be simple because based on my age and my, you know, my health history, he didn't see anything wrong, but he did pull my records from my 2016 procedure. And that's when everything just kind of hit the fan. He said that during my procedure that I actually had pelvic adhesion disease, meaning that I had a lot of adhesions there due to pelvic inflammatory disease. And I am comfortable with talking about this, but basically what caused that was I kept having um, recurrent BB. And um, if any women, I mean, hopefully you'll know what that is. Hopefully you, you haven't had it because it is a pain once it is recurrent, but it's basically an overgrowth in bacteria. And I've had so many different doctors just patching it up with antibiotics up until I found a way to just nip it in the bud. But um, because I continuously had that for a while, it eventually led to pelvic inflammatory disease. And the fact that it wasn't like treated immediately, that kind of caused those adhesions. So, um, and they were there. So like I said, he didn't remove all of those in 2016. So being that that was a factor that of course can cause infertility because those adhesions could be blocked, could be in the tube, they could be just around the uterus, whatever, but they look like little glued webs or something. So that was like the red flag for him. And so instead of us trying to do Clomid, he said, and Clomid is just, I'm pretty sure you, you guys would know what that is if you've seen a fertility specialist, but it's basically just like, um, a pill that will allow you or it helps you ovulate. Um, so instead of me doing that, he took me straight to super ovulation. And so super ovulation. Oh, I am so sorry, Shelly. Let me go back to my notes. That's why I said I need to stick to my notes. Before the uh, fertility meds, I actually did a HSG 
test as well. So I did that in April of 2019. And that is when they put the dye through your tubes to determine if they are closed or have any issues. And that was very painful. So if anybody is thinking about getting that done, that they've talked to their medical provider, um, I would say if it's okay with you and your health to take some type of pain meds, whether it's ibuprofen or Tylenol, whatever, because I was not warned that that would be painful. Oh, they and didn't tell you to take ibuprofen? No, he did not. Oh, no. My fertility specialist reminded me of a mad scientist. First of all, he had no bedtime. <laughs> and I get it. Like he wasn't emotional because, you know, that is a fertility is a sensitive topic. And so he, mm-hmm. I guess, tried his best not to bond with anybody. But he did not tell me. Only thing he gave me was an antibiotic beforehand and so when I lay down in that table and that that process started they probably heard me on the other side of that hospital that's how loud I was screaming it was so painful but we um like my gynecologist that I my new gynecologist I got where I was he told me that he pushed uh infected fluids through my uterus so I actually had fluids in my tubes so my tubes were I guess possibly blocked. So my left, like my left tube, the test went through just fine, but my right tube, he either said it was blocked, it could have spasmed or something. So coming out of that test, he knew that I only had like one good tube to work with. So that's another reason why we went straight to uh, the superovulation. So I started that in July 2019, and I was taking the Philostem IQ injection injections while I had to give myself the injections on um, like in my lower belly area and then my husband had to assist with doing like the hcg trigger shots and the super ovulation process it i thought it was going to be such like a thing and it really wasn't like the the shots i did not feel anything once i started doing them like i had to do them i think uh it was once a day for the same time it wasn't bad the 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 needle that was like the most annoying one was the hcg trigger because it was very long and you had to get the shot like in your buttock area but anyway i personally would not do it again unless i absolutely have to just because i did see where it could cause all this other stuff like have your ovaries go into the super uh shock or something like that i don't know um the term but um, I was doing well with it. My uh, eggs and everything were forming just fine. I was having to go to the doctor every three days to have him do an ultrasound with that. And everything seemed well, but I don't know what happened, but it did not work. So fast forward after that, um, again, I decided I had got a new gynecologist when I moved to Georgia. Because like I mentioned earlier, my husband is active duty. So I moved to Georgia in 2000, in 2017, when I said we started trying. So I found a new gynecologist there. Um, and he and I just decided that I should probably do another one of those procedures, the laparoscopy, um, because he said that with the fertility meds failing with me, you know, not really knowing exactly what it was that was causing, causing the infertility, whether it was adhesions or whatever, he wanted to get to the bottom of it. And I was okay with that um, because for me, to keep me off Google and to keep this fertility thing just taken over, if I at least know what's wrong or if I know there is a problem, I'm not as anxious about it because it has really like played a major factor in increasing my anxiety for some reason. Like I tell myself, just go to bed, stay off Google, but it's so hard. So 
like I said, to me, with him willing to do that and give me some answers, I was like, okay, let's do it. So I had that done September the 18th of this year, and um, he found that I had polyps. Um, and he told uh, my husband, because of course, out of the procedure, he was giving my husband like all of the um, info, and I was just still out of it um, from the meds. So he said that I had a lot of polyps and that my tubes appeared to be closed, but they definitely were inflamed. So he had to give me like a really high dose of penicillin. Again, I don't know what it was that was causing my tubes to be so wonky and inflamed and where this, you know, I didn't think I had BV because when I said that it was, it was recurring a couple of years ago, but I found a probiotic that had really been working for me. So it kept that at bay for a while. And just like I said, just changing and a lot of what I was eating helped with the recurrent BB. So I'm not sure well where the inflammation was still coming from, but, um, but that's what he, he told my husband. So kind of leaving that procedure and getting that information, I knew that I had to wait to go to my post-op um, to see him. I think they scheduled my post-op maybe about two weeks out from the procedure. From the procedure because I had that procedure the 18th and I think my post-op was like uh, and that was on a Wednesday it was a week and so many days but anyway it was a while before I could go back and really talk to him so I was left with kind of just like okay what was the conclusion can I get pregnant or no like or am I am I gonna have to do IVF like I need to know so um anyway um we went on a family vacation about a week after my surgery because I healed pretty pretty fine went to New York and um everything was fine but for some reason I was very like moody um my breast was really sore um and of course I associated with PMS because I knew it was about time for my cycle but I kind of had a little bleeding after the surgery so I didn't really know what was going on I just thought it was just a part of the healing process so I was okay maybe my period is coming on but when I got home uh, from New York it was around September the 29th I was like you know what let me take a test because I mean, I know I just had that surgery, but my husband and I had intercourse two days before my surgery. We just, he just wanted to get it out of the way because he knew it will be a while. And so, um, and I was like, okay, well, let me just try. But even though I didn't think, you know, nothing of it. Well, I took that test. I went to pick the test up in the local grocery store, took the test in the bathroom and it was positive. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I want to talk a bit about lube. Yes, lube. I would give a fair TMI warning beforehand, but let's be real, there's no such thing as TMI on this podcast. Okay, who here uses lube? I do. Who here makes sure your lube is fertility friendly? I do. Even when not trying to conceive, I ensure my lube is fertility friendly because honestly, how is a non-fertility friendly lube even natural? Anyways, today let's talk Fairhaven Health's Baby Dance Lube. Baby Dance Lube is the only fertility friendly lubrication that is paraben free and cleared by the FDA. The patented formula is pH matched to fertile cervical mucus and semen. This means sperm won't die in the lubricant. Isn't that what we're all after? Now go get your baby dance on, ladies, and I always say keep your eyes on the prize. Don't forget to visit fairhavenhealth.com or use the link in the description of this episode to get your hands on some baby dance lubricant. Now let's get back to today's episode. So my heart was just panting. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is this? 
um, I, like I said, I just took it. It wasn't, it was probably my hundredth test that, that I've taken. I didn't think it was going to be positive. I'm all, I'm so used to seeing negative. Um, so I run home, I show my husband and I went back out and I bought the digital and the digital was positive as well. Now that was on a Sunday. Like I said, we had just got back from New York and that was on a Sunday and my post op was that Monday. So I went to um, my post-op appointment with all three positive pregnancy tests in my purse. I was telling the lady um, that checks, you know, checks you in for your appointment. I was like, oh, by the way, um, he may want to do a pregnancy test on me. You know, I'm just excited to tell her. And she was like, sure, okay. Um, because that wasn't the plan. I mean, it was really just an appointment for me to go in and talk about the summary of my surgery. And so I took the pregnancy test there and it was positive. And so when I went back to see him to talk, he was looking at me like a deer in hell like like how did this happen so from that moment as we started talking my little excitement my hopes and dreams of wow this finally happened for me um was out of the window because he basically was this can't be I'm concerned this is either going to be a topic or you know it's not going to be viable because also the the laparoscopy that he did for me he also did a it's like a hysteroscopic or something like that where he went in and did a DNC as well. Like he scraped the entire lining of my uterus just to clean everything out to give me like a fresh start. That's how he had to remove the polyps. So he was like, I scraped your endometrium line. Like your the pregnancy is not going to really have a place to implant because it's only been like, you know, two weeks. So your lining hasn't even really thickened back up. So like I said, at that moment, I started to process, okay, I'm not going to be able to keep this baby, although it took us almost two years to get this, you know? Um, so I wasn't really emotional then. I just started, only thing it did was increase my anxiety. It put me back on the internet, had me Googling things and all of that. But um, shortly after that was that Monday, um, he was right. Wednesday, I actually ended up miscarrying. I went to the ER because I started bleeding really heavy. I started having like cramps that were not like implantation cramps. So they felt more period cramps. Um, I started having like a, um, it was like a mucus mix with blood type discharge. Sorry for anybody who got a weak stomach, but yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah, this doesn't appear to be implantation bleeding. So let me go to the ER and they retested my HCG levels and they had dropped by half because that Monday, um, that blood work that I had did for the pregnancy test, it was at an 86. And so when they tested it at the hospital, it had went down to, I think, like, um, I want to say 20 something or something. It had dropped by more than half. So they concluded that I was miscarrying. Now, I, again, still wasn't really upset, but I think like maybe that next day, maybe that Thursday, it really started hitting me because my husband was actually excited. We had already told my little girl who, you know, eight years old, she was so excited that she finally gets to share me, you know, she's been wanting a sibling as well. And so I did, what I did take away from that is if it does happen again, I'm going to wait before I definitely share the news with her and anybody else because we were just really excited. So um, yeah, so we won't be telling anybody again until I know for sure that the pregnancy will last. So that was in September and, um, around that, that was the end of September, beginning of October. So October the 11th ish around this time, um, we were having a PCS to our new duty station. So I'm now here in Texas. So having the miscarriage, trying to move, um, still trying to go to last minute appointments just to make sure all the HCG was out of my system was, it, it was 
a headache, right? So um, it appeared that I got my normal period back maybe um, at the end of October, early, um, what is that, early November. Um, so that's why I, be I believe that pregnancy was more of a chemical pregnancy and not a, you know, five, six week type pregnancy where it's a while before you see a period. So of course we were going to continue to, to try, wasn't going to wait any time for my body to heal. So we've been trying now. So leading up into now, um, I've been actively trying, but what I've done that, that I've majorly changed since having that miscarriage is I have completely changed my diet to a vegetarian diet. Um, my husband had actually, and I failed to tell you guys that, but he had actually changed his diet. Um, I want to say over the summer, so around July, August, which I believe also could have had a positive effect on me getting pregnant in September um, as well. Um, because like I said, with him, he, he gave up meat, but all he eats now is like quinoa salads and, uh, chia seeds. That's he eats the same thing every day. So he's full of antioxidants, full of vitamin C. So I believe that that could have possibly helped with him or with his motility. Um, or I don't know if the surgery had any interference with that pregnancy. Although my doctor was just like, no, he don't believe he had anything to do with it. So, um, yeah, I don't know why magically the egg and the sperm decided to meet the month of my surgery, but it did. But anyway, I'm, I'm trying not to dwell on it. But um, so, yeah, now I'm not I don't eat um, meat. And, and I personally researched that, um, you know, I'm trying to find ways to keep my uh, tubes to not be flamed. Like I said, I don't really know what else to do. I don't know what it is that's causing that inflammation. If that is the very reason why I still haven't been able to get pregnant. I don't know if it's the scar tissue. I don't know what it is, but like I said, I'm just gonna, um, try my best to continue to change things naturally. I'm also taking, um, Vitex. So I don't know if any, anybody have heard of that, but it's supposed to help with, um, your okay help me with this one too because i know i probably shouldn't know how to pronounce this but is it is it progress strong pro progress what is progesterone? The, uh, that that one okay yep <laughs> it's supposed to help with that um mm -hmm. because i don't I, I know for sure that i'm estrogen dominant based on some blood work that i've gotten over all of this as well so i researched that that kind of helps balance out your hormones and i failed to say which i should have been said my cycles are like average 35 days apart. Like it is so weird. I don't bleed really heavy. And I can say that ever since I did change my diet, I have noticed that I only, I only bleed um, four days now. I used to bleed five days and my cycle is not as heavy. So from like the um, November cycle, as well as the December cycle that I just had, they both were great. Um, and it could be a coincidence or it very well could be, like I said, the, the diet change, but yeah, so I'm down to four days. And as I've been taking the Vitex, cause I started taking the Vitex the first day of my cycle this month, um, excuse me, I actually ovulated before what my app was saying. Like my app said that I wasn't going to ovulate to Christmas and my cycle started on December the 4th. So that, just thinking about that, that's such a long ways away. Whereas I guess a normal cycle, you will ovulate um, day 14. So um, I did ovulate day 17, the cycle with the Vitex. I've also been taking, um, I think it's maca root. 
I've been adding that into some smoothies and I've been taking my daily prenatal. Um, and so I'm hoping that these things will kind of, and I'm going to try more than a month, like I was saying, how I give up, <laughs> because I feel like the Vitex is doing something. I don't know what it is doing. It could very, very well be the placebo effect, but to me, I feel like it's just doing something. Um, and the prenatals, of course, I should have been doing that. But um, another thing I want to share with anybody who is also kind of in this phase where I am, because like I said, I'm on year two with, um, I would just say no luck. I read this book called It Starts With the Egg. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it basically, it talks to you about everything before, you know, conceiving. So just getting your ovaries together, preparing that egg. Um, so I heard in the, in the book, I did the audio book because I'm lazy. Sorry to say. I do, I I do audio too. <laughs> I cannot sit still and read a book. I don't know what's wrong with my brain, but um, so I did the audio book and uh, they talked a lot about CoQ10, um, and that helps with egg health. So um, I also have been kind of taking a few of those every now and then. I honestly have been forgetting to take those daily because I just do, because you have to eat them with food. And I've kind of got my little method as soon as I wake up in the morning. I take my Vitex and my Prino because you don't have to take the Vitex with food. And then I take the other Vitex at bedtime. So the CoQ10, they want you to take it on a full stomach. And it is supposed to, again, help with like the egg quality. And because according to this book, like your eggs are forming and getting prepared a couple of months before you actually ovulate. So you want to have a good, strong egg when it does happen. So I'm taking that as well. And so, like I said, if anybody wants to check that book out, I got it from Amazon Audiobooks and it's called It Starts with the Egg. I'm pretty sure that's the only book with that title. And you'll see a little baby coming out of a cracked egg if you're interested in that. Um, but to to summarize it all up, just where I am now as well, uh, my uh, physician here is now telling me that if we don't have any luck by April of this year, um, she's going to send me back to a fertility specialist. We are kind of on a time crunch because uh, my husband is possibly going to be on a deployment rotation in October of 2020. So if nothing happens before then, I will be waiting nine months before, you know, until he returns for us to try again. So that's just kind of where things are right now with me. And um, again, I'm just trying to keep a, a level head at this point. Um, try not to let it take, take over me emotionally. I think once I had that miscarriage, that kind of actually gave me some reassurance that it can happen. So regardless of whatever the doctors were saying, that it would be hard, that my tubes were inflamed, they were closed, whatever, it still happened. So that's the little hope that I am basically driving off of right now. And like I said, while still trying to do everything naturally up until I have to go back and see that fertility specialist, because IVF is going to be my last resort because it's expensive. Yeah. It's yeah. so expensive. So, yeah. Uh, I always ask at the end of every episode, which honestly, I feel like your whole episode was just like a big piece of advice. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you had one, just like one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? I would say don't let it emotionally discourage you. As much as I know it is, I think for me, once I started letting it sadden me, it took over a lot of aspects. I feel like it was taking me away from being a mother to my child that I already have, I started to feel like 
you know, I was being a little unappreciative because I guess this is a, um, I'm, I'm trying to conceive my second child. And so it's people out there who hasn't been able to conceive one. And so, like I said, it took me away from that. And I'm like, you know, you just need to be appreciative of what you have and not letting it be a Debbie Downer in my marriage and just focus only on that, you know, cause it can kind of take the fun out of things in yeah. so many words, if you're just focused on baby making. Um, so I took a new approach. Like I said, once the miscarriage happened, I just stopped letting it be that sad cloud over me. And more so, I just decided to take control and do what I can do. And that was changing my diet, you know, researching. And, and that is in my control, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But this journey is not easy for anybody. Um, I've met a few people just from social media and another military spouse who actually she found out she was pregnant at the same time I found out, like in September. She had a miscarriage as well prior to um, getting pregnant with this child. And she, she is now, I think, five months and her baby is healthy. Every time she's going to get like, you know, ultrasound or checkup, her baby is, you know, having the time of her life in, in, in the womb. So, um, you know, just meeting people like her and staying encouraged and listening to other people's success stories, that also kind of lifts me as well. So. Yeah. Like I said, just try to stay positive in it all and um, don't give up because, I mean, it has been months where uh, I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm just not even going to worry about tracking ovulation this month. I'm not going to try, but that's so important. Like if you, you know, if you really want it to happen, you really have to do the science of it. You have to track your egg. You have to, you know, um, do all of that stuff. So yeah, just it's don't crazy give up. how perfect everything actually needs to be. Yeah. You never thought like, when I was 19, a freshman in college, of course, I, you know, I was not thinking at all. And, you know, I don't know how people feel, if I'm the only one to feel this way, but when you talk to people who, who they are not, I won't say they're not going through it, because most of the time they're not. It's people who've already had kids or just like older family members that you're talking to or maybe friends, but they always say, oh, it'll happen when you're not thinking about it or blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, listen, it's so hard to not think about it. You can't tell somebody yeah. that, you know? Um, and so it's just like, and then, like I said, they don't realize just how important it is, how timing is important. And just every little thing is so important during this process. And yeah, when you are not thinking about it, yeah, at 19, a freshman in college, I was not. I did have my child, but now, you know, I'm, I'm settled, I'm married, and that's just how it has to be now. It has to be planned. It has to be something that I'm thinking about because, I mean, I'm 27. I know I'm young. I'll be 28 in February. Um, and, to, you know, I know that's still young, but obviously, you know, I'm still on that clock because I don't know what, what age it is that they start saying, okay, you know, it's time to wrap it up. I think, is it, is it 35? I, you know, I feel like it changes all the time, so I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whatever age it is, I just know that I don't, and I didn't want my kids to be that far apart. Like, she's eight. She'll be nine yeah. um, in June, but, you know, so I'm over that. I mean, it is what it is. I'm going to have one in high school and one probably just now, you know, in elementary, but it's just one of those things I didn't want to happen. I wanted them kind of to get out, at the, get out of the house around the same time, but I don't know. Yeah. It's not going to happen that way now, so. But whenever. Whenever someone would tell me to like, oh, relax, what happened? Calm down. Maybe if you stop, you know, digging yeah. into everything, I would be like, you know what? Technically, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So if anything, I'm, 
I'm sane because I'm trying all these different things. Exactly. So this month, because I just have a gut feeling that maybe we did the right thing um, because I'm already kind of having these weird symptoms. And I don't yeah. know if it's just the pregnancy brain, you know how that goes. And I haven't had that in a while. Um, yeah. But I did take a test yesterday and I had the eye splinter line. So I'm okay. currently doing the progression. I think today yeah. I'm officially eight DPO. So I know I'm early. That's, uh -huh. I guess, the craziness of it. Um, yeah. But I've been we, looking. We all do I, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm over here on YouTube and I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl has over a million views just doing a line progression test. I'm going to do it too. Because I did recently start a YouTube channel, um, but I, I talked about, you know, my infertility process and everything. And then I did a, um, a review for this mirror analyzer. Um, so I kind of have a few things around fertility. So I'm thinking, okay, then let me do the line progression test as well. And hopefully it's, it's going to be a successful one. So we'll see. Uh, my bank account is not really too excited about all these first response tests because they're so expensive, but <laughs> those are my favorite. Those are, that's the one I used when I got my first positive and I was so used to seeing negative. So oh, we'll see. So yeah, they're my, they're my favorite too. And they're probably my husband's least favorite because they are expensive. They are. Um, and <laughs> yeah. And I don't even think to buy clear blue until I get a for sure positive on. Oh response. yeah. Uh huh. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for jumping on sharing your story. If somebody wants to reach out, is Instagram the best way? Yes. Instagram is my best way. Um, I'm trying to make it more, I, if you go on there now, you're not going to see too much fertility things. But if you have any questions, of course, feel free to message me. I am very outgoing. I will talk to a brick wall. Um, so <laughs> I don't mind sharing my story to help anybody. Um, and then my YouTube uh, is Brendy Lachey as well. So it's no dot. Like my Instagram name has the dot. The YouTube is just Brendy Lachey. If you want to check out some of those videos on there. And if you have questions about any of those, feel free to comment on YouTube or like I say, message me on Instagram. Okay, awesome. I'll go ahead and I'll link your Instagram and your YouTube in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for hopping on and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with the progressions. Keep me posted. Thank you. I sure will. Okay, happy we'll new chat. Year. Yes, happy new year. We'll chat soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. I'm just